This is the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. This is where it all counts. This is why we're here. This is why each one of us are here. And now, here's your host. Welcome back to another edition of the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast. I am Paul Pertichese, and joining me this evening, special guest recently from 4 for 4 and Dynasty Nerds, and returning to the Saturday to Sunday Football Podcast, Mr. Nick Whalen. Nick. Welcome back to the Saturday to Sunday football podcast. Thanks, man. It just uh, it's like a reunion, you know. We people don't know us. We were talking for like forty minutes off air, and then we're like, maybe we should like record this, and people would not listen to it or something. <laughs> Absolutely. So first, congrats on the new gigs. Anything you want to share uh, about what you're going to be doing for four for four or for Dynasty Nerds? Yeah, thanks. No, it was it was really cool. Um, I think something that's important to me, as you know, uh, I you know I really enjoy people. I enjoy relationships, and so both of those places, I really respect the people that work there. I think they put out good work. Um, they're all really kind and good people, and I think that's important to me. You know, I'd like to have. I think that part of it is is weighs more for me than I think content or football. You know what I mean? Because I think it, it should all be enjoyable and fun. So yeah, I'm pretty excited um, with Dynasty Nerds. I, I kind of want to focus more on. Uh, Devi and maybe like the film aspect to it. Um, and then in terms of four for four, that's going to be more the, the dynasty part, which a guy that works there, you guys might know him, George Kritikos, you know, we're, we're, we're reuniting, you know, the, the forces who knows what's going to happen, but you know, obviously he's a good friend. I was talking with him and he mentioned that they want to start dynasty there. I was like, Oh, that'd be awesome. So yeah, we're going to be doing that there. Absolutely. So that's going to be a lot of fun. Make sure everybody check that out uh, at both of those sites as well. So I wanted to have you on. Last episode, I had Bobby Sylvester from Fantasy Pros, and we did a season rookie recap talking about the wide receivers and tight ends, just general thoughts and the overview of the entire position. We talked about a little bit maybe going into the offseason, you know, how we would rank these guys now if we were going to try to get them on our dynasty leagues. You know, some guys that maybe we're higher on that we'd be looking to buy, some guys that maybe we'd be looking to sell, you know, and guys maybe just sitting there holding and kind of waiting it out to see if they get an opportunity. So I wanted to have you on. We did this last year. We talked quarterbacks and running backs last year, had a deep conversation about Josh Allen last year. Uh, and talked about a lot of the other rookies last year, the, both the quarterback and running back position. So I wanted to do that again. So let's start at the quarterback position because obviously last year's draft, you know, pre-draft Kyler Murray with the mediocre rise to be the first pick in the draft, choosing football over baseball, then the surprise pick of Daniel Jones at sixth, Wayne Haskins slides to the middle of round one to go to the Redskins. You had Drew Locke in the second round. And then obviously, you know, Gardner Minshew is late. He got an opportunity this year. Uh, Will Greer, very minimal opportunity for him. Same thing with Ryan Finley. Uh, but overview on the quarter, the rookie quarterbacks this year, were you su- surprised with the performance were were you kind of expected what we what happened were you expecting a little bit more well first i'm just gonna pour one out because i cried a little bit as you're naming them you know my my boys brett ripon and and tyree jackson aren't even named like <laughs> i'm like man i liked both of those guys you know, they didn't do anything so you know sorry about those two guys hopefully they'll they'll kind of kick on and i was a big will Greer fan and so you know that one didn't really work out either i, I think overall I expected more from this class in terms of showing some flashes. I think they did show some in spots, but I I wanted more. I mean, even like a Kyler Murray. I mean, he started all year 
and you know he threw a lot, he ran a lot, but the numbers weren't amazing. Uh, I expected a little bit more progression from him. I know it's a first-time NFL head coach. I know with him and with Haskins, I really wanted to to stop the hype trains for both of them, which they were out of control, you know, because every rookie's going to hit, Paul. You know, like it's you know, they're <laughs> all going to be amazing. Like, well, hold on. Because they both didn't start very long in college. So, you know, there's going to be a learning progression just as them, just for them as a quarterback, much less the NFL. So, you know, with Kyler, I, with all of that said, I expected a little bit more from him. I don't think it was a colossal, you know, failure for him. Um, and, you know, I think he's probably going to get some more weapons here. Maybe they'll get a CD Lamb or a Jerry Judy um, there. Daniel Jones, I, me and you, Paul, we are like the Josh Allen, like truthers, like, like, <laughs> like from day one, like we're there. Everyone else, maybe he's coming on board now, or maybe they're just still not, at, still not. No, they're still going to look at like the playoff game and they're going to think of like how he didn't lead them back into it. I don't know, whatever. But, you know, Daniel Jones is the same thing. Like it went so far the other way. I, I wanted to root for the guy. And you know what? I'm happy now because all of them are eating crow. I think I put this on Twitter the other day. I was like, I'm old enough to remember people were hating on Josh Allen, Daniel Jones for incomplete passes in training camp. But then, you know, Vernon Adams was going to be the next, you know, truth, you know, the chosen one. And where's he at, you know, but Twitter never learns because they always have to go to extremes. I'm glad Jones showed signs. Was he great? No, he turned the ball over a lot, but he had about three to four games, Paul. And you would know, you watch more Giants games than I do, where he showed some really good flashes. And if we're honest with a really banged up, weapons all over the place everyone's hurt suspended you know Barkley's not good for half the year you know Shepard's banged up Evan Ingram with his foot like all over the place so I'm actually kind of excited to see what's going to happen with him more than I thought I was um and you keep on going down the line there Drew Locke he's going to be thrown to my boy Sutton who broke out have to give him a little shout out on the pod um and Fant I mean there's a couple of nice young weapons there and you know and he I don't think he performed great at the end of the year but what are you going to expect from a guy that's you know still a little raw in Missouri he didn't play most of the year and then gets thrown in there late in the year doesn't have the rapport with the first team like you know there's not a lot to expect but um you know that, that could be promising if you're in a super flex to maybe try and buy him cheap um and, and Haskins I just I just wasn't that impressed I know he had like one decent game but man he looked really raw out there yeah I mean I want to go back to Haskins for one second and then I'll, I'll definitely go back to a couple of the other guys I forget where where were you on Haskins were you a, a, a fan of his game or did you have some question marks about him transitioning I was really concerned about him because a lot of his passes were short. I thought they were very manufactured, lots of crossing routes to Paris Campbell, a lot of, you know, scissors routes where guys were wide open or wheel routes. Um, and I didn't see him coming off of his first read very often. But with within that offense, in that context, he did really well at Ohio State, but I wanted to see more. So, yeah, I wasn't a big a fan of him. Yeah, I mean, and I think this year – Listen, he showed a little bit down the stretch that I think the talk that, oh, the Redskins, you know, would maybe pull the Josh Rose in and, you know, tr get another quarterback and, you know, trade him like the Cardinals did last year. I think he showed enough 
down the stretch that he's that's not going to happen. They're going to, you know, Daniel Snyder was all was the basically spearing that charge to pick him. If you believe what the sources were out there that the that Gruden and the and the rest of the the brass wanted Daniel Jones, and it was Snyder who wanted Haskins. I guess he grew up there and stuff like that. But can, when can you too quick on that, Paul? Yeah. If you are the head coach and GM of the Redskins, what would you do at quarterback? Would you take Burrow or Tua at one and trade with Haskins, or would you ride with Haskins? Oh, man. I, I think I think it really would depend, I think, in terms of what we could – you know, they, they just brought Ron Rivera there. So, like, he he's not an old, old coach, but he's not also a young guy. So, like – I think they want the turnaround to be quick. I, I think they wanna they wanna be winning sooner rather than later. That to do that, you're you're gonna trade him and you're not gonna you're not gonna recoup the just like Arizona did it when they traded Josh Rosen. I mean, what they end up settling for, like basically a late second round pick or something. You you'll get a team to trade for Haskins for sure, but I I probably wouldn't. I probably wouldn't. I and I love Tua. I love Tua, and and I like Burrow. Uh, so I'd understand it. I don't think it's crazy. I think it would have been more possible if you know there were some reports for a while that maybe Urban Meyer was interested. I mean, that was his guy. I don't know how state, so maybe not him. Maybe a different college coach. You know, I could have seen it. Like if Matt Rule went to Washington and he said. I want, I want my guy. I I'm here for seven years. I want, I want Burrow or I want Tua. I think he would have given, I think maybe he could have been convinced, but I, I don't, I probably wouldn't. I'd probably take Chase Young, who I think is going to be an elite defensive player. And I would say, you know what? I'm going to give Haskins one full year to, as the starter, try to build up, you know, the team around him, uh, next year's quarterback class might be pretty fun too. If we really had to get back into the quarterback mix, uh, maybe we have to think about it again next year. I'd probably do that. Now, if there was no Chase Young, I think all bets are off. I think that, that open that would have opened it up. Like if they ended up picking four or five and Tua was still sitting there, I think the conversation could have been opened up a little bit more uh, than than what it is right now. So that's kind of where I stand. I. I I much prefer in terms of just evaluating as much as I liked Haskins last year, he was far from a, 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 a prospect that I felt hundred percent confident making the transition. I think two and burrow are superior in terms of film evals for sure. But I do think, I do think probably give him the opportunity uh even though it's not like it used to be so cumbersome to move on from these guys in terms of like salary cap when they used to get those like $60 million contracts. Uh, but I, I think he probably, I think it's so hard to judge somebody on a handful of games. I think, I think it's really not fair. So as good as Haskins didn't look at times this year in terms of pocket presence, decision-making accuracy, so many of the stuff that we were worried about going through progressions. I thought I saw a little bit better down the stretch that I think you got to at least give him an opportunity. Would you move on? I would. I would because I think that's the most important thing. I mean, I think the difference between, you know, and they've already spent a lot of high picks on that defensive front, you know, so if you had young, I get, maybe it would be like this elite defensive front, but that plus, I think he's a mediocre to below average quarterback in the NFL. Is that going to be the difference between a potential elite guy and then, whatever else you would have at DM to me, I think it's really a no contest because you have to get quarterback, right? 
to really sustain winning in this league. And that's why Revere was out of a job. Cam got hurt and everything went downhill. Um, I know that's risky. And I agree with you, Chase. If Chase Young is not there, it makes it an easier decision for me. But because um, I think he's phenomenal, he's just a freak. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's an interesting question. I just didn't know if what you would yeah. think on that. Yeah, I hundred I, percent I, I think it's a, a it's a good question. And I think you know the the going back to a couple other things, the door is now open for that. Like I know Arizona was the perfect storm. It was uh, Kingsbury coming in and. You know, Murray, the, the the quarterback that he thought was perfect for the system. But I think the door's now open that that that's not the first that's not the the first and only time we're going to see that in our lifetime. That this is going to happen more. That's not going to happen frequently. But when when you're talking about regime changes and and stuff like that, I think this is going to happen more than than we might think you know, over the next 20, 30, you know, whatever amount of years, this isn't going to be the only time it ever happens that a team trades a quarterback they took in the first round by the time the next draft comes around because they want somebody else or a new regime wants somebody else. You know, going back to Kyler Murray for a second, I was, I was, I was impressed with what I saw. I do think he was playing pretty, you know, his supporting cast was very lackluster. I think Kingsbury had a lot of difficulty, uh, transitioning to the NFL. I think he realized pretty quickly that he didn't have the skill players to run his system the way he wanted it to, or the way that it was effective in college. You started to see him make adjustments later in the year. Uh, you know, not nearly as many four wide sets, much more at times he was using two tight end sets, different things like that. So I think Hopefully Kingsbury adapts and, and continues to evolve that offense. And then, like you said, get him some playmakers. Where would you, and again, you don't have to have an exact, exact number or anything, but I think, I think his ceiling is going to be pretty high. And I think people are going to be excited about him. And I think people are going to be really into trying to get him on their teams because for what it's worth, I don't, I'm not saying he's going to have a, a Lamar breakout because this is once in a lifetime, I think, what we started this year. But I think people are always looking for the next guy to be a major breakout. And because he has the leg component, not nearly as much rushing attempts as, as Lamar, I don't think he's ever going to do that. Uh, I think he's going to be a guy people want to get on their dynasty rosters or in startups. He's going to be thought of very highly. Would you do you think you'd have him as a top six, seven dynasty quarterback? Do you think he'd be in that mix, like after the obvious, you know, Mahomes, Lamar, Watson? You know, because I think some can make the case he's not that far behind, you know, whoever else would be in the mix after that. I could see a lot of people thinking that he would be in that mix after those top three guys in a dynasty setting. Yeah, no, I agree with you because I think there's a big change in the guard with these old with, you know, even old, you could say Stafford and Ryan because, and then there's Rogers and then there's breeze and Brady and rivers, <coughs> excuse me, all these guys that were there, there, there's not a ton that's replacing it. And, and actually I have another example for you. This is going to be, I think many off seasons in a row. Well, we're, well, we're really pro- thinking this rookie's going to progress. Baker was what QB two for a while. People were hyping him up or however high he was going to be. And then, it's Lamar and now it's it's Kyler. I, I've seen him four or five on people's lists. I don't think he deserves to be there at all, but people love running quarterbacks because that cheats and gets them points. Um, 
I think he doesn't have the running ability that Lamar has, but I think he has way better arm talent overall than Lamar has. My biggest issue with Kyler, and this is, again, offensive line is not great. I know the weapons aren't great. Throw on time. Throw on rhythm. He just never did it. He's just out there like a playground freelancing the whole time. And it was just, it drove me nuts. I just sometimes watching film, I was like, I got to shut this down. Like, I can't even watch this anymore because he's constantly just doing that. Um, and he's, they started running the ball more too later in the season too to help. Yeah. And, and, and that, that's going to be something that he's got to like get out of his head too, because that worked at Oklahoma. Like it, he could do that in the big 12. He can, he can dance. He was able to move around and dance back there. And sometimes like you would have thought he was like setting up like a campsite. Like he had so much time to just kind of dilly dally and then wait for Marquise Brown or, you know, wait for whoever CD lamb to get open. And then, you know, it was just, that doesn't work in the NFL. Like the plays you're talking about, the, the he would just sometimes run around and run right into a sack and I'd be watching the game and, as someone who owned them on a couple spots, like I'd be like, "Oh my god, throw the ball! Like, get rid of it! Like, don't take the twelve-yard sack!" Like, so he's definitely got growth and and development to do for sure. I understand the side of saying he offers a lot of upside, uh, and again, I think sometimes in the dynasty community, people put a a time frame f- too far out that sometimes is unrealistic, like. You know, like my guess is there'll be a lot of people that have him ahead of Russell Wilson and Russell Wilson's not going anywhere in the next three to five years. Like he's just not. And if anything, you know, right now he's being asked to do more and maybe one day Pete Carroll fully opens up the playbook for Russell Wilson and lets him actually throw even remotely close to the rest of the NFL quarterbacks. Because I think then we, we don't even know really what Russell Wilson's passing ceiling is because mm-hmm. he's never really been allowed to show it. If he was in a, a system that every week, let him throw the ball 40, 50 times. But yeah, so I, I think it's interesting. And then Daniel Jones. I mean, he's so I, I guess to answer your question, yeah. I'm with you. I think that people are, his value right now is more towards his potential ceiling than what is realistic. And and right now that is way further than I want to reach on him. So right now I would sell him or I would, I would just pass on him because it's, it's too big of a risk. And, and in, in the end, it's not how you feel about players. It's what the value is because it's a value game. It's a stock market. You're buying, you're selling, you're holding, which is what we're talking about. And you need to have the most chips and you do that through value. And then you can buy them later. He's disappointed a little bit if you really like him. Yeah, absolutely. And to take this over to Daniel Jones, like, you know, I've been on record on here and Matt too. Like at the time we were not fans of the pick, you know, we're giants are our team we root for. He was a guy who I looked at when I watched film last year. I thought when I watched his film, he was a second round prospect. I said, you know what? I think he could be a starter in the NFL. You know, I looked at it and said, you know, maybe he's on that Ryan Tannehill Miami days, you know, Kirk Cousins, best case scenario, Andy Dalton somewhere in the middle, you know, like that's kind of what I thought his, you know, spectrum was. And then, you know, I I watch him in preseason games and they're preseason games, but you can take some stuff away from it. And then, you know, he starts playing for the Giants, I think in week three. And yes, 100%, he's got issues to correct. The ball security, number one, he cut down. I mean, the interceptions, you know, I think it ended up being, 12 or 13 for a rookie quarterback. I could under, I can live with that. And he had like 24, 25 touchdowns. I think I don't mind the interceptions. I think that he'll cut back a little bit, but he's got a better, know how to better protect the ball when he's going to take a hit. Uh, part of that. Yes. With some of the fumbles were blindside hits that he didn't even feel or didn't even have the time to feel. 
I think he'll correct some of those things. And I don't know. I think people are really harping on it because of their pre-draft narratives. It's the Josh Allen thing mm-hmm. all over again. Yep. They're looking for the things to pick on and they're looking for the things that put him in a negative light and they're not watching him. Like the people that are knocking Daniel Jones for his fumbles and stuff like that, I don't think are sitting down there. And I I don't blame you if you don't want to watch a Giants game. It's torture to watch Giants football right now. But open yourself up if you want to talk about these players and watch the game. Because if if you just watch Daniel Jones with an objective eye this year, you saw a guy whose ball placement was really good. You saw a guy whose toughness, standing tall in the pocket. There was so much talk leading up to the draft that he didn't have the arm talent to push the ball vertically down the field. He he can push the ball vertically down the field. He's actually very accurate pushing the ball vertically down the field. Uh, he, he's able to move around and escape and keep plays alive in the pocket. You could do some RPO stuff with him. I, I walked away very excited this year as a Giants fan. And this is with a slightly improved offensive line, but still bad. A coach who seemed to be very struggling with utilizing, you know, the, the appropriate play calling for the weapons that the Giants had. A defense that was arguably the worst in, in football, one of the worst I've ever seen. So constantly was putting the Giants behind in games. And then, you know, when you're behind in games, it's kind of obvious what you're going to do. And I, I, I'm excited. He'd be the guy of all the quarterbacks that because his reputation is still what it was from, oh, he's that Duke guy with mediocre stats in college. Ha ha, let's laugh at the Giants, just like the Josh Allen thing. I don't think Daniel Jones is probably going to be valued appropriately in most dynasty leagues because I think most people still look at him and think he's he's not good and he's not going to be good but if you took out away the pre-draft narratives and watched him as a rookie this year I think you should I think most people would have walked away and said for a rookie he had his ups and downs but there's a lot to get excited about and I think he you know has the weapons you brought him, you mentioned it before. He never really played with a full deck. He didn't play with a healthy Saquon. And 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 listen, this is without Odell gone. And they still had enough weapons. And if they could upgrade the offensive line, which is probably where they end up going now with the fourth pick in the draft, they upgrade the offensive line. Maybe they sign a free agent there too. You know, and all of a sudden they get healthy and he develops a little bit more. Now we don't know what type of scheme they're running and stuff like that or anything yet, but Jones would probably be the guy, especially because the community is still, I think, very down on him. And I think it's going to be the same thing. He could have a good year next year. The Giants can become a winning team, and I'm not sure they're going to get there yet. But even if they were, I think it's going to be just like Josh Allen. It's going to take a long, long time for people to get over their pre-draft biases. Yeah, I'm absolutely with you because I had him as my QB7. And so I was very anti him on film from Duke. Uh, The only thing I really liked out of him, from him was his competitiveness and he was a tough guy even though he was injured came back from that clavicle really quickly in college to practice right away and he ran and took some big hits i'm like okay this guy has sacrifices but you know he was late throwing the ball i didn't see great arm talent or accuracy but then when i watched his nfl stuff i was like who's it was almost like who is this guy you know because he was he played much more confidently he threw on time he wasn't behind he didn't stare down his reads as much he still does some but not as much I saw better arm strength as you had talked about before. And, you know, when you when you pair that with the numbers he put up with his ability to run and then Saquon, Ingram, 
you know, what's going to happen with wide receiver? We don't know. Slayton showed out. That's that's a great plus right there. And, you know, with Tate and with Shepard, you're like, that's that's a better situation than, you know, Buffalo. Then you could go through the Miami. You go through lots of these places where that, that's not bad. And they're probably going to add more. If you're honest, what do you want to do to your your franchise, right? Are you going to build them up quarterback? You're going to protect them more? You give them more weapons? I think for sure. I think they're going to get a receiver. They're going to get, you know, like you said, a couple of linemen. And all of a sudden you're like, in that division? Yeah, okay. You know, I, w- I would take him. And you said, as you said, in, in Dynasty, yeah, I mean, right now I would value him over everybody but Kyler Murray as a, yeah. as a quarterback. I would not have thought that at all at the time. But – Here's the problem, Paul, is people want to be right instead of being correct. And when you get more pieces of information, you have to change your view. You have to. I mean, if, if you absolutely hated Gardner Minshew, let's just say, hated him, and then he did what he did, are you still just going to hate him just because I'm going to be right? I mean, that's just childish. It's like you're a middle schooler. You have more information. You're like, oh, okay, well, maybe he can play a little bit. Like, we have to constantly be doing that, or it's going to hurt our either our our takes, or it's going to hurt our, our fantasy teams. And in the end, I want to win. I'm selfish. I just want to win, so I need to constantly change how I view things, or I'm not going to win or make money or you know titles, all that stuff. Yeah, and you know, I think Daniel Jones and Josh Allen are two guys that. People should be buying in their dynasty leagues because you're taking advantage of this market that as a whole, the majority still looks at these guys as not being good. And I don't know if they're, I don't know if it's going to take a long time for these guys to get over that because it's just so strong. Like you go on Twitter and the anti Josh Allen takes that come out immediately Anytime he does anything bad is just is is staggering. And they just they just harp on the same things over and over. And they don't look at what he does bring to the table. And I mean, people must have forgotten what Cam Newton was like early in his career because or maybe they just liked him becoming out of college. So they look past his flaws in, in early on and they just kind of said, we like him. He brings this to the table. Those are the things we're going to focus on. But for Josh Allen, they don't do that. They don't look at the keeping plays alive and making a big play or making a big play with his legs or his rushing ability. I mean, Josh Allen, in terms of the fantasy world, he's like a lock every year to score right now, like six to 10 touchdowns rushing. It's like he's their I mean, goal line I mean, back. I mean, if, if you, and again, I don't, I mean, I don't count week 17 because not everyone plays all that kind of stuff. If you took week one to week six or week 16, I'm sorry. He was QB seven. He beat Carson Wentz, Aaron Rodgers, Matt Ryan. What, what are we talking about, people? Like you're not valuing this guy. I, I don't care what what you think of him. If you want to win in the sport, you take the numbers. And if you're QB seven in your second year, you would think, oh hey, that's going to get better or at least stay the same. And that's not even thinking about how he ended his rookie year. Remember was that, that five or six week stretch to end the year where he was QB one. Add yep. that to there, and obviously you're like. Mm, but yep, it's that bias. And it's, and again, that bias is something you always have to overcome. It's like going to your home drafts and people are drafting guys that got drafted by their favorite team and you know, they're going to take them higher. Great. Value is going to pour your way. Value right now is Josh Allen and Daniel Jones. Yeah. I'm right there with you. I agree completely. Uh, so moving any, any other quarterbacks? I think we, t- I think we talked about them. Should we, should we, is what there are you going to do with Gardner? I, I, I'm just, what is Jacksonville going to do there? 
Yeah, I mean, listen, I thought I thought it was a great story this year. I, I did, and I thought he played. I thought he played some okay football. I I think I think it was too over the top. I think if he was a average, if he didn't look the way he did and acted the way he did. I'm not sure he would have gotten the attention. Like if he if he looked and acted like Eli Manning, I don't think, you know, I don't I don't know if if people would be talking about. Him. Listen, great find, I think in the 6th round it was. You find a quarterback who could be a spot starter, who could be a high-end backup. You hit a home run with that in the in late in the draft. So I definitely think he can be a guy who's a got a long career in the NFL, a quality backup, can be a starter. Do I think he? Do I think they just found the next guy that we put on a short list of saying, "Oh, you know, Tom Brady, Kirk Cousins, Dak Prescott, Gardner Minshew." You know, like the, these are the guys that were taken after you know pick one hundred that turned into you know starting quarterbacks or franchise quarterbacks or whatever word you want to use. I, I don't think that's Gardner Minshew, to be honest with you. Uh, I think he could probably be a serviceable low end starting quarterback, bottom 10 in the league. But I, but I'm not, he's not a guy who I would be wanting to stake my franchise on right now. I think he can, I think he's a serviceable player. I mean, some people I think really liked him a lot. I mean, I heard, I heard fantasy analysts say that they like him more than Daniel Jones. Like, I don't know what they were watching. To be honest with you, I mean, I think they probably just were looking at stats. I mean, Daniel Jones was asked to run the entire playbook. They put a lot more responsibility on Daniel Jones. I didn't see Jacksonville really doing that. He made some nice plays. He kept some plays alive with his feet. Uh, showed more athleticism, actually, in the NFL than I thought he had in college. Mm-hmm. Agreed, yeah. Uh, but, but I don't think he's a guy that Jacksonville will go into the offseason and say, yeah, we found the diamond in the rough in terms of a long-term starter. I don't even know what they're going to do with Nick Foles. I think if he's on the roster, he probably gets an opportunity to start next right. year. And Which they, he should. And they give him one full year, you know, or at least the beginning of the year and the whole offseason as the guy. Uh, so I think I think the Minshew mania kind of had its own – kind of just took off and – I think he's going to be a guy who just is is what he is. I think he's a high end backup, spot starter, average starter if if he needs to be. But he's not a guy besides in like two quarterback leagues uh, that I, that I'd really want to be actively pursuing. If I had him, and people think he's going to be that guy or be a starter long term, I definitely would look to get out and sell. If Jacksonville moves on from Nick Foles and actually cuts him, I'd probably try to sell Minshew and just get out while I could, because I don't think he's a guy who I'd want to, you know, I don't think he's a guy that I think is going to be a guy who's going to be an impactful fantasy guy for the long, for any long stretch. No, no. And, he, and he's not. And and right there, that bias people, people wanted him to be good so bad that I think that's what they believed. When you look at the numbers he for, for to begin the year, he had a, like two touchdowns per game for three or four games. And then he had this like stretch in the middle of the season where he had one game of more than one touchdown pass. And then he had like five that were zero or one. And then he ended the year with like a three. It was like, man, there's like, that's not really good. Then you look at Daniel Jones. He had, I think, four games of three or more with three of them, four, four yeah. and five. I mean, if you look at numbers, and again, this is a numbers thing. And we're not even talking about talent, which Gardner does not have the arm that Daniel Jones has, doesn't have the athleticism that he has, doesn't have the draft pedigree that he has, obviously. 
Daniel Jones averaged four more points per game, more than that, actually, than Gardner. Okay. And that's counting week one when 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 Daniel Jones just came in just a little bit in that game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like you take that out. It's not even close, but with value-wise, people are gonna misrepresent that. So again, we're just speaking to value. Okay. I like Gardner in terms of having that backup quarterback. He's perfect. He comes in, he's got some swag, he could win you a game. But if you want him as a starter, he's going to be a worse version of Dalton. That's just what you're going to get. Yeah, I'm right there with you. I see it 100% the same way. And then Will Greer, we, I know we mentioned him quickly before. I'm really fascinated to wonder, you know, what Matt Rule's thoughts might be on Will Greer. You know, like, you know, Matt, you know, so that I think that's going to be such an interesting thing because it does really seem like Caroline is moving on from Cam Newton. That, you know, Matt Rule is going to be in there for the long haul. They're going to look to get a guy in there, you know, probably at some point early in with an early draft pick, I would assume. But does Will Greer, who I was right there with you, I was a fan of Will Greer. Matt was a fan of Will Greer on here. And there was other big fans of him as well. You know, he when he ended up in Carolina, I was really intrigued by the fit because I looked at all those offensive playmakers and I said he could be the guy like the point guard that just kind of distributes between these guys. And. I started to get a little concerned when I would watch Kyle Allen be terrible after his first couple of games. And there was never any talk. There was never any reports that, you know, Will Greer might get an opportunity. Like it took until week 16 or week 17. I forget what it was. Finally, before you started, like, you know, the coach even having to say, you know, Kyle Allen's my starter or, you know, we're going to we're going to evaluate the position. And then Will Greer got, you know, one game and then a half a game, I think. And then he got hurt or whatever. Uh, so I don't know. I don't know what I don't know what to make of it. Like I was excited for him. I don't want to sit here and, and completely trash him off of like one game in two quarters and say that I don't think he can become the guy. But I mean, we know it's a lot about opportunity. And if Caroline is already given up and if Rule's not a fan, we could be waiting for a while. It might be an opportunity. It might not, that opportunity might not come knocking for a while. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, it could be a Josh Rosen thing. A new, new regime comes in. They don't believe in him. He bounces around. Like you never know how it's going to work. I liked Will Greer coming out a lot, actually. Um, I mean, he had 52 passes his rookie year, the second to last game, you know, I think one is like right at the end. Like who cares? I mean, I'm not going to judge a guy on 52 passes. By the way, just like I'm not going to judge Ronald Jones on 27 carries, everybody. Okay. This is their rookies. Who cares? Like, that's such a small sample size. We, we earlier were talking about we shouldn't judge Dwayne Haskins on five games. We're not going to do it off of basically one game. And then he played like not even a quarter, I think, before he, he got hurt. So um, it's going to be interesting to see what Matt Rule does if they are going to get rid of Cam, as you had said. But I think Will Greer, if you're in a super flex, he's a buy. Why not? It's, you're going to pay like almost nothing and you have a chance because we do like the weapons that are there um, in Carolina. And I mean, even, even at tight end, I mean, Ian Thomas has looked good lately. You know, you pair him up with more and same. I mean, you got, you got some good weapons there with McCaffrey where if you do have a guy that can be the point guard and you can get Will Griffith cheap and he becomes that great. If not, you didn't lose hardly anything. So I think that he'd be a buy right now. Yeah. And I'd also say that I'd look to, try to get Jared Stidham on the cheap right now too, because there's a lot of talk Brady's going to play probably, but is he going to play in new England? Like there's talk that maybe he goes to Los Angeles or, or somewhere else. Like I have a hard time envisioning him. 
<laughs> maybe <laughs> Chicago. I mean, I have a hard time envisioning him not being in New England, but who knows? Who knows after all these mm-hmm. years what the relationship might be with him and Belichick. Maybe he wants to go somewhere else. You know, we don't really know how that ends up, and there's not going to be this you know, savior to come in to New England where they're picking, you know, in the draft. Like, so Stidham might get a real shot there. And, you know, Belichick must have seen something in him. He drafted him. Uh, He looked really good in preseason. I'm not going to sit here and say that means it's going to translate to real games, but he showed, he showed well in the preseason and he might get thrust into the situation there uh and get an opportunity so i would say i would say it won't cost you much to get jared stidham on your roster especially if you try to do it right now because i think most people still are going to assume that brady's going to be back in new england so he might be an early dynasty buy in the offseason try to get him right away try to maybe get him as a throw-in in a trade and and just kind of wait it out on stidham any final thoughts on the quarterbacks nick no, I'm, I'm with you on Stidham, too. I mean, it makes sense. I wasn't a big fan, but, I mean, it, it's all about, again, value and price point. Right now, those are priced with basically no-lose buying situation right now. Absolutely. So let's take this to the running back position because I do think as a whole, I think this position kind of underwhelmed and and let us down this year as uh, in terms of the, the rookies. Obviously, we had Josh Jacobs, really, really productive season, hurt down the stretch a little bit, but, you know, besides – not being as involved as I think most of his fantasy owners would want, would have wanted him to be in the passing game, something he could do very well, I might add. But besides not being involved as much in the passing game, I don't think anyone could have had complaints on Josh Jacobs's year. I think the question with Josh Jacobs is, is how high maybe is his ceiling in terms of being in terms of where people should be valuing him in in dynasty leagues? So so Nick, why don't we just start there for a second? Josh Jacobs at the top, he's kind of I think standalone right now at the top. Do you have an idea, a range, some names maybe that how high should people maybe be thinking about valuing him in the landscape of the running back position? Is he a guy who you think should be? considered in the top 10 for dynasty running backs should he be a hundred percent in the top 10 if we're not talking of if we're not bringing this year's class into the mix just yet um i think if you don't bring in this year's class into the mix yet i think he has to be in the top 10 just based on he's still 21 years old turns 22 in february he just had 1100 yard season averaging 4.8 yards per carry he's a first round pick i i think that you kind of have to based on that um I was not a big fan of Josh Jacobs, so you know I was you know wrong there. But I absolutely think that this is his ceiling. I, I just, in terms of health, people are like, "Oh, he's hurt." He was always hurt. This is his thing. Like, in, he's just never a healthy guy. And and catching the football, he could catch more. But you know what? He had some, some blow up games, and then he had some duds. And so you know, I think. You know, with Oakland, we never really know what Oakland's going to do. You know, there's guys that are coming and going with Gruden. Um, I I just think this is a ceiling, which I don't think is a bad ceiling. Like he's in that, you know, uh, you look at Sony Michelle and him, they're similar. They're going to get, you know, maybe 20 to 30 receptions a year. And you're hoping they're going to get a thousand yards and, you know, seven, eight touchdowns. That's about, I think, what you can expect. Because I think Oakland's going to bring in another back. They're going to bring in some more weapons. That team was not many weapons. They leaned on him heavily, and then he broke down. Um, I hope he stays healthy, but I just think this is really what he is. So 
he would be on my lower end. Uh, I, I don't know that I would have him in the top 10. I'll be honest because I'm, again, not a big fan. And 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 this is me with me still taking in this new information. But I would still have Aaron Jones ahead of him. You know, Derek Henry, like those guys that are older than him, just because I think that they could sustain it for a longer period of time because we've had a bigger sample size. When you look at Josh Jacobs' sample size, it was small in college. And then here in the NFL, I mean, it, there's – there's a bunch of games where he went over 100 yards. What is this? Five times, and then you know he's below 80 yards a bunch of times too. So like it's just like is it is it going to be always there? Is it not always going to be there? I don't know. I'm I'm a little torn with having him top seven, which I've seen people have him. I'd be much more comfortable having him in the 11 to 15 range. Yeah, and and to be honest with you, I think that the, this that difference in that range right there, I think a hundred percent it it correlates with you having to make a decision and each owner having to make a decision on whether or not we think he's going to expand and Gruden's going to expand his receiving work. Because to me, if he's in that twenty to thirty catch range, and he becomes more of the Sony Michelle type in terms of more touchdown dependent than you want to be, or even before. I mean, if you take out Derrick Henry's monster games, the la- just at the end of the season, what? Why are people always a little down on Derrick Henry? Like he's game flow dependent. He needs that touchdown, you know. But his stats have been so gaudy at the end of each of the last two seasons that that, that it's covered up for a time some inconsistencies during the season. If you think he, if you think that maybe Oakland was, you know, giving him an opportunity to adapt to the NFL, the rigors of the NFL, and maybe they pull back a little bit on some rushes because maybe trying to preserve him a little bit and realizing that he never was a full bell cow anywhere. And they want to increase the receiving work. Because I did, I I was a big Jacobs fan. He was my clear guy coming in last year. He was my clear one point oh one pre draft, post draft. But I I envisioned for him much more of a Alvin Kamara type touch role, where it might be twelve thirteen carries. But then I thought he was going to be looking at like four to seven targets a game or four to six targets. I thought he was a guy who was going to be a 50 to 60 catch guy. I mean, so maybe not at the Kamara or McCaffrey level, but I thought like after you got past like the really elite receiving backs, like, you know, Barkley and and McCaffrey and Kamara, I thought Jacobs had a legitimate chance to be in the next tier of guys. And if, if that's not the range he lives in and they don't even give him that opportunity, then I think 100%, I think the top 10 is a little rich, and that's coming from someone who's a big fan of him. And I haven't looked at any rankings, but I bet I bet some rankings have him ahead of Joe Mixon, and I think that's a big mistake, if it, mm-hmm. if it is. Again, yeah. I don't know. I don't, I don't want to pretend that that's universal knowledge, but if, if that is what's out there in the rankings, I think people are being a little bit too in the moment and – I mean, Joe Mixon might have saved that narrative because he finished the year really strong, but that would have been my take even before he finished the year strong because things will get better in Cincinnati. I think Joe Mixon could be is still a pretty special talent. Uh, so yeah, he's going to be interesting. I think the receiving aspect is going to be is going to be so critical to how his value spins there. Why don't we take this a guy close to uh, your neck of the woods and 
That's David Montgomery and the Bears. I think a lot of people, a lot of people were really, really excited for David Montgomery and the Bears. Started the year not even really playing in that week one. People were in absolute uproar of why Mike Davis was getting so many carries. Then there was a stretch in the middle of the year that they were just force feeding David Montgomery and they were acting like Tariq Cohen was barely, you know, useful in the offense. And it, it just kind of was a little bit of an up and down. People, I think, kept wanting to see David Montgomery run away with the job or run away with the opportunity and the touch count he got. He never really did it. Where do you stand on, on Montgomery now after seeing him for a season in the NFL? Well, I just want to say before I start, I told you so. Everybody, okay? I'm a Bears fan, and I was the most anti-David Montgomery person, and everyone said I was a hater, and I was right. He's not that good. He's not that good. He tries to be Saquon Barkley in uh, – I, I, I can't even tell you, like uh, – uh, a David Cobb body, you know what I mean? Like, remember David? Like he's no, just I do, and, and that was enough. That was my concern. Now, I I didn't, I wasn't a Montgomery truther, but I also wasn't as anti Montgomery as, as you were pre draft. But I did have some real concerns <clears throat> about about his athleticism and how it was going to translate to the next level. That I looked at him and I said, I think you'd be a solid back. But I'm not sure there is a game changing back there. You know, he makes I, everybody miss though, Paul. Come on, he makes everybody miss. The problem is, and he did this in the NFL too, is that he he his number one priority of his is to make people miss and not gain yards. And I went through GIF threads of NFL of him making people miss and then make another guy miss and the first guy gets up and makes the tackle like you have to you have to at some point hit the gas or he is so indecisive with hitting a hole that it, it robs him of his yards this this hopping 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 behind the line of scrimmage thing doesn't work in the NFL the defensive linemen are probably more athletic than you are David Montgomery you just have to run and when he did that he was effective now that's what you're saying that that's that's his ceiling where he can be like this the Sony Michelle type that he could be that kind of type of a guy if he decided he, if he knew who he was, you know, yeah. it's kind of like Reggie Bush. Remember when Reggie Bush thought he could just bounce outside of everyone in the NFL. And when that didn't happen, when he was trying to figure out who he was until late in his career, he's like, Oh, you know what? I have to run tough inside. And then all of a sudden he's this thousand yard guy. I know there's injuries and all that kind of stuff, but you have to know who you are, you know, and he doesn't know who he is. He thinks he's Saquon and he's not. And I don't care. You, you can bring up PFF, whatever the heck you want, with how many guys he made miss his rookie year. I don't even care. He's bad. He, he's not even an average NFL running back, a starter anyway, not even close. I don't even know how you can even try and make that argument. If you want to toss in this week 17 game where the Vikings played their third stringers and guys off the street, I don't, and he ran for 100 yards, congratulations. Take that away he, or add that in. He still averaged 3.7 yards per carry, Paul. He was not good. And and the Bears' offense was so bad, and he was bad. Like, there were games where we needed him to convert a couple of first downs to ice games, and he's dancing. I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're like, your job is just to run hard inside. Just know what you're doing. And even receptions, you know, he just constantly does that. It drives me nuts because I should want to be biased and root for him, you know? But I just can't do it. So, and, and even this offseason, people are going to defend him. I 
just today, someone's like, oh, he's a he's a screaming buy in Dynasty, which means this offseason, I'm going to be barking down everyone's door. He's not a screaming buy. I'm he like, need- I'm like, yeah, like yeah. Darius Geis. I'm like, like Darius Geis, who was the guy I was anti before, who's probably a buy at this point. It's still the value game, and he's not a value. Yeah, I, I I agree with you. If people are still valuing him high, I think I'd look to sell him right now. Uh, he needs to turn on some film of Chris Carson and just watch yes. Chris Carson attack the hole and do what Chris Carson does. Because if he does that and he changes his running style in the NFL to be more of like a Chris Carson type, he could be a productive player. He could be an RB2 in fantasy. He yep. can put up 1,100 yards and, and score touchdowns. But I felt at times, and and again, you watch way more Bear games than me, I just kind of felt at times like they were force-feeding him the ball because they were trying to justify their pick of him or make him out to be more than he was. And it came at the expense of Tariq Cohen, who is a playmaker. And I just felt like it was a weird weird dynamic. While they should have complemented each other well, I never felt like they I never felt like the game planning and the play calling did that. Like I felt like it was so obvious what was coming when I would watch a bear game. And then sometimes I'd be like, why is Tariq Cohen barely involved? Like why is why is Montgomery in right now? And I think sometimes when you invest in a running back, and I think it's the first three rounds. I think teams are very cognizant of the fact that they invested a premium pick in a running back. That they wanna they wanna see it succeed and they wanna well, they wanna make it work. And I think sometimes it's to the detriment of actually the team and winning if the guy's not performing. Right. Well, not all of them though. I mean, we can even go in this class. There's two third round picks that barely even played this year. And and those teams were better. Well, uh, the Rams maybe not, but but New England was because it's about the player. I mean, I mean, I, and maybe you're biased, Paul, because Montgomery couldn't even average two yards per carry against the Giants. He had 13 carries for 22 yards. So who who knows? But I'm I'm with you. It's it's just it's just not good. We we can we can move on from this. I've already lost like 20 followers because people they don't like my Montgomery hate. But that's their bias talking. Watch the tape. Look yeah. at the numbers. He's not going to help your fantasy team. And and again, I think it goes back to and we don't have time because we would be here no two hours. Is I think pre draft takes. People get so into the collegiate statistics. And again, it's funny. It's funny how so many people on Twitter rip Dave Gettleman, rightfully so, and talk about he doesn't understand correlation and causation. I think that's pretty, I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with. I don't think that's just the old geezer GM of the New York football giants. I think that is a lot of people, even really good people in the, in the draft community who sometimes I think harp in too much on statistics. And I don't think the NFL, I know people, I had, I had a conversation with someone on Twitter and I literally used the words, I don't think the NFL evaluators care really at all about college statistics without, because without context, they mean very little. Mm -hmm. They mean, they mean so little, like percentage of offense. Like how, how does that an apples to apples comparison based on you're talking market share, market share, breakout age. Yeah. Any, any of that stuff. And I, I don't, I think they're interesting. I don't, I don't, you know, I'm a math teacher. I love numbers. I love seeing statistics. I think that stuff is interesting. I think it's, I think it's, I think it's a good conversation, 
but I don't think it's something that should be used to determine and project whether or not a guy's going to make it in the NFL. And there probably is super high correlation that great NFL players, yeah, did put up good college or great college stats against inferior talent. That's a no-brainer. Yeah, more times than not, those things are going to be correlated. But I don't think it. I don't think it, I don't think there's causation there. I don't think they become great NFL players or great NFL players because of great collegiate statistics. Whatever type of statistics you want to use, I think it comes down to there's so much context that has to go in to studying a player at, at college. And I don't, you know, I, I we'll get into this another time because I'm gonna have to have you back and talk college prospects. But I was having a conversation with someone. And I know you look at Derry Judy and have some concerns. And I think mm-hmm. the NFL could look at him and you want to talk about his his size or his frame or maybe his play strength or whatever NFL teams might find in terms of concerns. Maybe I know you mentioned when we were on the Debbie Marketplace, you know, maybe he he's more of an inside guy, not only, you know, can't play outside as much as maybe. Those are all viable things that I could understand someone saying about Jerry Judy. But don't tell me Jerry Judy's not going to be successful in the NFL because his percentage of the offense at Alabama. Like that, no NFL team is having that conversation, I don't think. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm a moron. But I don't think anybody's saying, you know what? We don't like Jerry Judy as much as as some teams because we think he should have caught more stats. We think he should have put up more stats in college. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. Well, but I think think things are – here's where we're playing two different games. And I think that people forget that all the time. NFL teams are not playing fantasy football. They don't care about the stats. They care about the points and they care about winning. And that's why, and I've talked about this at length, that's why uh, John Ross, that's why Will Fuller, that's why Tavon Austin, that's why all these guys that have speed or Deshaun Jackson get valued so high because they represent something different on the football field. And it's not about fantasy numbers. It's like, Oh, well, this guy would have caught way more passes. Oh, they don't care about that. They care about that. That stretches the defense a different way. That's why the Texans uh, averaged a touchdown more per game with Will Fuller in the lineup than not in the lineup. Is it because he caught a touchdown every game? Maybe, I don't know. He, He catches a lot, but I don't think that's it. I think it's because of how it changes the offense. You see this all the time. Teams are drafting weapons. They're not drafting guys that are going to get 100 receptions a year or running backs. That's why people were getting the you know, the Tony Pollards and the Darrell Hendersons, like they, they and didn't all work out, but they're usually weapons. That's what it's about. That's why you, that's why people get nickel corners or, you know, that's, that's a, sometimes a full-time starter, sometimes not. It's about roles. It's not about these, these massive statistics. People are playing two different games in the same rant. I'll continue. This is a head coach is a different role than a coordinator. That's why all the time people people are like, oh, this guy's going to be your coordinator now because he didn't work as a head coach. Oh, we don't want him. He sucks. That was a different job. Yes. You know, you're the CEO of Apple. You know what I mean? And then all of a sudden, oh, it didn't work out, but he's a really great software engineer. Then he's back at a software engineer. He's going to crush it. Like different roles, people. We, we keep trying to put these different squares into round holes, and it's just baffling to me. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's funny that you brought that up because it's actually going on right now in New York. Like, there's talk, and I don't know if it's going to happen, but there's talk that the Giants might look at Freddie Kitchens to be their OC. When he was the OC 
Everyone was praising him last year. Baker Mayfield's development, Nick Chubb being so successful, the Browns looking competent and putting production. Okay, he wasn't made he wasn't made to be a head coach. We saw that this year. He he should have given up the play calling to to Munkin. Maybe that would have made a difference. But okay, I wouldn't want Freddie Kitchens to be the head coach of the Giants. But as the OC, with with Daniel Jones, Saquon Barkley, the weapons he has, what he did in Cleveland two years ago as the OC, okay, totally different roles. You you can't you can't evaluate a guy in one role for another role the same way. It's got to be different. And like you said, the NFL, it's why I think there's such a disconnect sometimes between the draft or Debbie community and then the NFL stuff is because we're looking, the fantasy community is looking at it exclusively in terms of catches, yards, points, and the NFL world is looking at it for impact in the entire game. And it's right. It's why those speed guys are always going to be taken. Listen, I think Henry Ruggs is a very talented player. Somebody might look at Henry Ruggs and say, I don't understand it. He's just another John Ross or whatever. That's not my take. But you know that take's going to be out there for some people. But the impact that it could have on the entire team and the entire offense is so great that it's not just – and the Will Fuller example is perfect. Seven points. Like I don't know if there's another player in the NFL, non-quarterback, that could impact their team by, by seven points. Maybe Christian McCaffrey right now. Like, like seven points, that's like a ginormous amount. Like, and this week we're waiting on it to see if he's gonna play, you know, this upcoming Sunday in the, the divisional game. You know, so it, it does really, it's two completely different elements in terms of that. And I think it's such a, a point that needs to be really hammered home on a more regular basis. So let's take this to Miles Sanders because statistically. He had a fantastic rookie season, uh, mm-hmm. receiving the ball, rushing the ball. You know, I watch a lot of Eagles games, obviously two games against the Giants, but they're a team that, you know, had eyes on a lot this year. What would get me excited about a Miles Sanders owner or a guy that I'd want to try to get on my team is I still think there's a lot more room for growth and development in his game. I think he's still, right now, to me, he's still much more athlete than he is running back. And I think, and listen, and maybe that's going to be the detriment to him as the NFL figures him out a little bit. And if he doesn't evolve, but if he evolves and becomes and shows better vision, better patience, allowing his, his blocks to develop, I think he really could become a, a, a top end type running back because we know he has the athleticism. We know he has the speed and the burst. You, you know, you said before David Montgomery at times tried to be Saquon Barkley. That was one of the knocks about Miles Sanders on his Penn State film. He 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 basically watched Saquon Barkley for a couple of years and and tried to mimic him. And he just while he's very athletic in his own right, Saquon Barkley is you know abnormal basically. Like guys his size don't really move like that. So I I thought I saw less trying to be that Saquon Barkley home run hitter with Philadelphia. I think now it's more about. There are times that I thought he maybe missed some appropriate lanes because it was a vision thing, and maybe it turned into a two-yard run, but it could have been a five-yard run or a six-yard run. The little things like that, or I still think there's some room for improvement in him. Statistically, I don't know if we know his statistics are going to go up because he was asked to be a big part of the receiving game because Philadelphia really was struggling with their receivers and injuries and, and lack of weapons. So I'm not going to sit here and say the receiving production is going to be locked and loaded you know, year in and year out. 
but I'd be, I'd be excited because I still think there's room for him to grow. And even without that full running back, you know, traits yet, he still put up a really productive season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I, I, I hate continually agreeing with you, Paul, but um, I was anti the hype of Miles Sanders. I mean, he was, you know, obviously ranked high because the running backs weren't great last year's class, but for the same reasons that you had said, I thought he danced too much. I thought he tried to be Saquon too much. Um, he's more athlete than running back. All those things were my concerns. And, you know, he got drafted around two and the hype train went. I'm like, I'm passing, passing, passing. He finished running back 14, you know, and and if you want to talk about points per game and people are, are hyping Jacobs, maybe as high as RB7, as we talked about, you know, or an RB1, Sanders, now again, finished higher than Jacobs because obviously he played at the end of the year and, and Jacobs missed some weeks. But in terms of points per game, Paul, he he was about 0. 0.7, 0. 0.8 less points per game than Jacobs. And he got a lot less touches. That shows you, and again, we're talking about catches. That's how important receptions are in fantasy football. If you want to chase one thing in running backs, chase pass catchers. That's going to help you in fantasy more than anything else, pass catchers. And so he has that. And when you talk about the role in in Philly, what's going to happen with Jordan Howard? Is he going to get a bigger role there? As you had said, even if his receptions go down a little bit, he's going to he only ran for 818 yards, but he had 4.6 yards per carry. Let's say that goes up to 1100 Jacobs level, and his receptions go down to 40. He's going to crush Jacobs in terms of fantasy, you know. So I I was more impressed as you you talked about with him on the field. I thought he ran um, more decisively than in college. That's not saying a lot because it wasn't super decisive in the NFL, but I thought it was a little bit better. Um, I, I think he's getting coached up. He's still a young guy. And you want to talk about a guy that didn't have a lot of playing time. He really played like one year at Penn State because some guy named Saquon Barkley hoarded all the touches. <laughs> so he's still learning to be a running back too. So I would give him a little bit more of a leeway um, in terms of being able to, to figure it out in terms of his running style. Then someone like a Josh Jacobs, who I think is just, he just, he's just a bulldozer, just kind of how he is. But if Sanders can be more decisive, I think his running is going to get better. And then he already has the hands. Sorry, he dropped that fourth down, you know, conversion. We all watched that, but don't let that be in your heads. I mean, I think that you could make a case, Paul, where he's the best buy to maybe be the best ceiling in this class. Yeah. I mean, I, I can understand that Philadelphia. Good team, good organization, uh, I get good offensive line. Obviously, Wentz is there as the franchise quarterback. You know, Ertz, great tight end, great young tight end in Dallas Goddard. They really just got to upgrade the wide receiver position. And like you said, if he shows growth in in some of those areas in terms of his running game, I think he could be a guy who is a perennial RB1, or high RB2. I, I think that's in the range of outcomes. And if he's going to be this involved in, in the passing game, that's only going to make him his ceiling even higher. And I could see, while I'd prefer Jacobs a little bit more right now, because I still think that receiving is going to come, but that's me kind of going out on on hoping. Like, you know, that's me hoping that Gruden had a reason for this year. But if, if this is more of what it's going to be long term for Josh Jacobs, 
I think Sanders might be the better play and maybe should be the guy who's considered the number one running back right now from, from this class. So it, it kind of depends. He really goes back to having to make a decision on what you think Josh Jacobs is long-term. If he, if you think he's a 20 to 30 catch guy and you think Miles Sanders is a 50 catch guy, well, then I think that's your answer. Then I think Miles Sanders belongs higher in your ranks. He's cheaper to acquire too. hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent. Uh, I want to take this to a guy who it's the hardest guy for me to get a real read on. And I, I feel like I'm, I'm not with the consensus. Maybe my reasons aren't, aren't warranted. Maybe I'm going to change my tune as when I see their off season plans, uh, come to fruition and maybe draft night as well. But Devin Singletary was a guy who went higher than I expected him to in the draft last year. He showed some things at Florida Atlantic, but I had a lot of concerns and reservations about him because he wasn't very athletic. He didn't have long away breakaway speed. He wasn't extremely powerful with the frame that you envisioned him being a goal line back with regular consistency. He wasn't a guy who was used a lot in the past game in in college. His short area quickness, his short area agility, all that stuff was really good. His vision, excellent. Uh, so I understood. I thought he was probably going to be an early day three guy. So he went a little bit higher than I thought. And then he goes to Buffalo, and they don't really have anything else there except an aging Frank Gore, you know, a TJ Yeldon, who's, been, who's now on a second team. And... As the year goes on, he's continuing to eat into Frank Gore's workload. But my concerns, because I, I know people seem to be very high on him, and he's shown, you know, the metric numbers, the combine stuff. You know, again, for running back, I think it sometimes is, at times, the most, uh, you know, of the, of all the positions, I think sometimes the running backs is the one that it matters the least because so much else goes into it. We just talked about with Miles Sanders and stuff like that. But I struggle with him long-term, and my struggles with him in terms of his long-term value is it's basically Josh Allen as Cam Newton. So he's their goal line back. So what's his touchdown upside, you know, in a season? And, yeah, he was used this year as a receiver. I'm not sure, though, that they don't invest once they get rid of Frank Gore and TJ Yeldon. I still think they could invest in another running back maybe a free agent that's a, a starter caliber, maybe another top 100 pick. And if that guy's more of a receiver and now he loses some of his receiving work, then we're relying him on, on total touches and we're relying on yards to make his hay in fantasy. And that's provided that he's still the guy, the number one guy, but without the touchdowns, without the consistent guaranteed receptions, I don't know how to properly value Devin Singletary going into this offseason. No, it's, it's a great question. Um, but I got to put this out there. He's just a guy you root for. He's of this course. little guy, not super athletic. He gets everything out of his athleticism. He's so tough. He's He does everything. I think this is my eval. Is basically like, he does everything you want in a running back. For his size and his athleticism. He does everything. Like there's times where he's making like double cuts. And I'm like, oh, he's tackled. Oh, he gets through that. Like, I don't know how he does it. You know, he just and then you look at his numbers. You know, you talked about receiving. What if we talk about rushing? He rushed, he averaged 5.1 yards per carry. 
5.1. Yeah. And it wasn't on like 10 carries, 151 carries. That's pretty darn good. Um, the touchdowns weren't there, as you talked about with Josh Allen. So I'm not – I think you're kind of like really cutting it down into like, you know, what – with Josh Allen and the touches, like figuring out – we just is he going to be the guy? If we just figure if, – if he's going to be the guy – then I think that changes things, and we can figure out the numbers because he's going to have more than 151 carries if he's the guy. 29 receptions if he keeps just 29, that's low. You know, is he going to go up to double that? You know, is he a 650-60 guy or is he a 20-30 guy? If he's somewhere in the middle, it's fine. I think basically if he's the guy, he's going to get more than 30 receptions. Right? Is he going to get 220 carries? I don't know. That's what we have to figure out. I don't know. He just came off a playoff game where he's lighting it up. Paul, okay. They get you know, Allen does the 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 lateral, right? Which by the way, can I just take a second to say this? Okay. If Lamar Jackson did that lateral and Dawson Knox for Baltimore catches it, he's a genius, right? He's so he's such a playmaker, like Lamar's awesome. Josh Allen does it and doesn't go right. Everyone hates him. That's that's the bias right there. Nothing bad happened from it. Dawson Knox was actually wide open. He's trying to make up like, is it? And by the way, and then the ball went out of bounds and it saved him a timeout. Just pointing it out. <laughs> okay. But anyway, Singletary's lighting it up and they don't give him a carry in overtime. What happened Buffalo? Is that you not trusting your young running back in overtime? Then I'm concerned if he's the guy like you're talking about. Or were they just in this like, Pass, pass, pass mode, which i that's kind of what I was leaning and thinking. They forgot that, hey, you can run the ball. You don't have to score right away. Like, you know, well, you want to score, but you know what I mean? So I don't know. I like Singletary. I think that the momentum is there where they're not going to go high for second, third round. They might go day three with a running back. So with this being a good class, that's not good for him. They have to bring in somebody. You know, is Gore going to come back at age 45? I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, they're going to bring in somebody, and that's going to be the battle. You know what I mean? I I think that Singletary's a guy that you sell right now, and if you buy him, you buy him after the draft when it's like – there's always that group of guys, Chris Carson, the, that group of guys after someone gets picked where the, their value just goes to crap. Devin Singletary is going to be that guy. I don't think he's ever going to be a superstar, but if you need a second, third, fourth running back, he's the kind of guy that you want to spot start. I think that's probably what he's going to be. Yeah, I think I, I think I agree with a lot what you said because all year and every week, I felt like when he came up in the NFL Rookie Report, I had my concerns and I would say I would take this opportunity after a good game and I would sell high. I would sell high as the and for the first ten weeks of the season. I was convinced they were spending big money in free agency on a running back or drafting one in the top two rounds. Then as the year went on, I saw him start being more productive, taking a bigger workload from Frank Gore, being entrusted a little bit more. And I said, okay, like maybe, maybe they don't go in free agency and spend big money on a, on a running back. Maybe they don't take one in round one or round two. And then you see him, you know, have a really productive game last week. But it, it seems like they don't trust him to not fumble in a big spot, which is a little concerning. And they that they that they didn't want to have him out there in certain spots. I think you're probably right. They probably don't invest in a top two pick, maybe even not even a top three round pick, 
They probably do day three. I think it's going to be dependent upon, you know, if he, like you said, if he's the guy and he's 65% in the workload or whatever, mm-hmm. 70% of workload, then he's probably an RB2. He's, a, he's probably an RB2, a low-end RB2, because, again, the lack of touchdowns could hinder that, him being higher than that. But I do think right now he might have a value that's higher than that. I think people people might be looking at him in terms of his dynasty value and and almost locking him in at the moment and thinking he's a he's a he's a guy that is a buy. His sky his ceiling is is higher than this. He he's a guy that people are excited about. And if that's the case, I would sell. Yep. But like you said, then maybe if his value goes back down then maybe you could attack and buy a little bit later. I think he's a very challenging player right now to try to get a read on uh, in terms of it. I could understand people being very excited about him because he's an exciting player to watch. And like you said, he's a guy we want to root for and he gives it his all. Uh, But at the same time, I do think there are some concerns as well and some question marks that I think we won't know for some time. We re- we really won't. Like, And well, I think that's that's one of the things that makes this such a hard decision with him. I mean, but you also could see Buffalo, right, saying, okay, we got to get Josh Allen weapons, you know, and they take Jonathan Taylor in first round. Yeah, that's what that's been. That was always my biggest fear. That was always my biggest fear. Like, what if they take DeAndre Swift? What if they take Jonathan Taylor? Like, what if they, what if they, you know, view, and I I don't want to, I'm not going to say Devin Singletary is not better than Wayne Gallman. He is. But the Giants took Wayne Gallman in the fourth round. They thought he, he was okay. He was solid. He wasn't great. And then they had an opportunity to say Quan Barkley, like, and we can go back to, you know, I once upon a time was super excited about third round pick Trey Mason. And then the Rams said, and I was buying him everywhere. And then the Rams said, you know what? We're going to take Todd Gurley. Second round, right? Second round? Maybe. It might be second round. And I, and I was super excited for Trey Mason. I loved the talent. I loved the landing spot. I loved his rookie year. I was buying him everywhere. And then they went and took Todd Gurley. And then basically that was the last we ever heard of Trey Mason again. So it's like, you know, it, it happens. Yeah. I mean, it's one of those things that it, 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 sometimes that happens. And unless it's like either a ridiculously great rookie season, a top, 50 pick or a first round pick. You never know at the running back position. A teams can see something that they think is a big upgrade and they don't look at it as a lost pick because you kind of need two backs anyway. Now in terms of the NFL world, that doesn't help fantasy, but you need two backs. So it's like if they love Jonathan Taylor and they think he, him, his running ability combined with Josh Allen and they maybe go out in free agency and get another pass catcher to go with John Brown. They might say, you know what? We have Dawson Knox, young tight end. We have John Brown and new, newly signed wide receiver. Our defense is already great. You know, we could continue to build there, but we have a really good defense. Maybe we have the luxury of going out and getting a star running back in round one. And then Devin Singletary compliments this guy. And then that changes everything. So I don't think it's added a question, a possibility. And it's why I've been so reluctant to go all in on terms of, you know, my love for Devin Singletary and, and say he's a buy and not a sell. So I think Singletary is a very interesting one. I mean, in, the, in that same regard, as a as a Bears fan, I would absolutely love them grabbing like Travis Etienne around too. Yep. Yeah. Go ahead. Montgomery's a great backup then. And then Cohen yeah. could be your gadget guy. Yeah, 100%. I mean, that, that helps your team the most. So you could, that's the thing is that you worry about that. And long ago, we can remember the Panthers. 
having D'Angelo Williams lighting it up. And they still, they took Jonathan Taylor. Or, Jonathan, or, Stewart. Jonathan Stewart. Sorry. Uh, yeah. Stewart, there we go. <laughs> Jonathan Stewart. I remember that class. Great. Writer. Absolutely. So you mentioned it before. Let's, let's go to these next two guys and then we'll round it out with, with a rapid fire of a couple other guys. But you mentioned two third round picks that barely started a field. Uh, Damian Harris to New England, Darrell Henderson uh, to the Rams. Thoughts on these guys? Like, I really thought Darrell Henderson was going to have a big role this year. I had my concerns about Damian Harris having much of a role this year with New England. But what are we to make from them? Do you look at both of these guys and, and think buys because their value is so low? I mean, I, I feel like Damian Harris could be bought for, like, you know, a bag of footballs right now. I think Darrell Henderson probably still carries, you know, more weight because people – you know, don't know Todd Gurley's situation moving forward. Uh, they still look at that offense and want to think the explosive offense that they were two years ago, not this past year. So, so what are you to make? Are these guys that you'd be saying buy right now? And if so, who are you more excited of the two? I think that they're both buys for the simple fact of it's the game. You know, their stock market's so low. Don't you remember the hype train with Darrell Henderson, Paul? I mean, this summer, he was like a fourth or fifth round startup pick. And now he's like a 12th round startup pick. Or maybe he yeah. was, who knows? I mean, it's unbelievable. You buy when they're low. Drill Henderson, it's a podcast. You're recording it. He was my RB1 last year. Okay, there's my bias. He's not my RB1 now. Okay, we have way more information. But he has the talent, I think. And we don't know what's going to happen with Gurley, but... I, it makes no sense to me what happened with the Rams this last year. None. They, they just, just crumbled. The whole team crumbled. And I think a lot of it was offensive line. I think they're going to address that a lot, whether it's going to be Gurley or whether it's Henderson, they have to run the ball more and better. So I think they're going to get a shot. It makes no sense for McVay to spend a third round pick on something he doesn't use. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, who knows what's going on behind the scenes. If something he wasn't learning the playbook, who knows, but he has to be a buy in my opinion. Um, and that's not just because he's my RB one. Just if there's any rookie running back, that was a third round pick. I could get him for a bag of footballs. Like Paul's saying, I'm going to do it. Okay. Because once upon a time, Mark Ingram was the biggest bust first round pick there was. And then he came around and he's had a pretty good career. People forget about that early early career Mark Ingram where he's not even good at football. You know, hey, he kind of he he figured it out, you know. So he's a buy. Damian Harris, I, I was high on him too. I liked him. That one's tough just because there's I mean, I know there's Gurley, you know, in LA, but that's kind of it. I'm not really worried about Malcolm Brown. I think he's a free agent anyway. You know, in New England, you still have Michelle and White. I know they're still on contract for more than that. I don't know if Burkhead's still on the contract too, but it just seems a little bit more crowded there, uh, a little bit more unknown. Unlike with the Rams, you know that they work that outside zone, and Henderson should be pretty good at that outside zone in terms of that play. Um, but in terms of catching the football and running the football and good vision, Harry seems like a he almost seems like a better fit than Michelle does to be like the all around guy in New England. Um, you know, if they wanted a blend between a white and a Michelle, I think it is a Harris. So I think they're both buys just based on price. Yeah, I mean, and I and I I'm interested to see where Henderson's value goes because I think Harris can be bought super cheap. 
But if Malcolm Brown's a free agent, like I think you're right on that. Uh, I'm not sure though because I know the said, Lions had the Lions had signed them to a contract, right? And then they I'll matched it, it. And they, it, I think, I don't know what the Lions' contract was that they gave him, and then uh, the Rams decided to match because he was a restricted free agent. I don't know if it was a one year. Three million dollar deal or two for six. I don't know if there's an option in two, there. So two. I was wrong. Two for six. Three point three. Okay, so he's probably going to be back, but I, I don't think that should really sway. Uh, I think I think it's more still. What do we make of Gurley? And if you think Gurley is only got another year left in the Rams, then I think Hender- now's the time to buy Henderson. Really, you know, cheaper compared to where you got him. I still think he'll cost something. I still think. You know, people took him either in round one or early part of round two of rookie drafts. Some rookie drafts, depending on when it was, he was like a top four pick. And and understandably at the time, people were very excited. I was very excited for a long time. He was my number four rookie for rookie drafts to take. And, you know, in one league, you know, by the time my rookie draft came around, he fell a little bit. I was able to get him in the early part of round two with a trade up. Uh, But. I think he'll cost. I think Harris. People are probably going to even be further down because it was never there was never a big hoopla around Harris like there was Henderson. So I think the Hender that about Henderson will keep people still interested and in the offense that he's in. I think people will look at Harris and say barely played. New England's running back situation's always a mess. They drafted Michelle a year before in the first round. They you they always have a stable of backs. Like even if he gets on the field, he's just going to be a part of 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 a group that I think he can be more had for real cheap. And I agree. If there's one guy who can maybe fill the role of all around back there, it probably is Damian Harris. So so it's going to be interesting to see if he gets an opportunity there. Uh, this running back class, like I said, really underwhelmed. Like the fact that two top 100 guys didn't even really get playing time. Uh, if we take this real quick to a couple last guys to round out tonight, uh, Alexander Madison was another guy who snuck in the top 100. Obviously, he's a he's a high value handcuff that could have some standalone value, but I mean, it's hard to get too excited. You know, if you're a Dalvin Cook owner, I think you definitely want to own him and try to get him, but. You know, he's blocked behind a guy who is one of the best running backs in football and relatively young as well. It does get hurt a decent amount. So that's that's part of the, the appeal of Alexander Madison, who I think is a pretty good running back in his own right. And then guys like Justice Hill, will he get an opportunity in Baltimore? If so, what do you think he can make of it in terms of fantasy? Do you Are you under the belief that you think Darwin Thompson will get an opportunity in Kansas City? Or was he just a preseason uh, hype of so many? Uh, Tony Pollard, obviously Elliott signed long term. Any any of these guys are guys that you'd want to get on your roster. I mean, I guess we could throw Raquel Armstead in there. I don't I don't really think much of Benny Snell or the guys after that, Ty Johnson, Travion Williams, you know, Dexter Williams, you know, unfortunately, uh Anderson, another serious knee injury, and obviously behind Joe Mixon. So I, I'm not you know, really looking at him as having much value, but any of those other guys that I brought up that intrigue you? Yeah, uh, I think so. You're taking a gamble. That's what this is at this point, because all these guys could be had for cheap. And if I'm going to gamble at any one of these guys to take on a big role and be the guy, I think it's Alexander Madison. D- Dalvin Cook has a series of injuries, it and it's massive, and it's the only reason why I don't own him anywhere. Is because I'm gambling on him being hurt. 
I don't want him to get hurt. I hate injuries, but it happens year after year after year after year. And he's a great talent, but you take him out there. That's a run based offense and they play action off of that. And he was productive 4.6 yards per carry. He didn't, you know, have he had one touchdown. I think he caught like 10 passes, which is decent, but you fill that in there. He could be an RB two, and, and you paid hardly anything for Madison. Um, Pollard would be the same way. Um, I think he has a little bit more like uh, spot starting potential value just because he catches passes. So if you have like three injuries in a bye week, like hey, he's your RB two or something for a week. Uh, but the other ones, yeah, I'm off. Darwin Thompson, that was hilarious. Everybody, you you guys loved him so much, and he just epically failed. It's he wasn't that good in film. I just I didn't get what people saw. Benny Snell is running through quicksand all the time. Paul, I just, he's so slow. Um, Justice Hill would be interesting. Um, I I mean, obviously, super explosive guy. Because what's going to happen in Baltimore? You know, uh, it's the playoffs now. Last year, the playoffs, someone tried something new and figured them out. Defense. What's going to happen this year? Is there something that's going to happen in the offseason? Are they going to evolve and start, you know, incorporating Justice Hill? So they'll have a full, maybe offseason program with him. You wonder, you know, um, he intrigues me the most. I think out of like the rest of the guys after after Pollard and, and Madison, just in like, you know, maybe he becomes some like third down back role or he, he's like the quadruple option off of the triple. You know, I don't know. Do you know what I mean? Like, is he, is he like the next layer of what this offense could be? Yeah, I mean, I was I was a big fan of Justice Hill once he landed in Baltimore. I liked his game pre-draft. But when he landed in Baltimore, you know, he was the guy who I thought if there was one guy this year who was going to be the Philip Lindsay from the previous year, I thought I thought Hill had that opportunity. A guy who, while wasn't a you know an undrafted guy like Lindsay, a guy who from day three gets an opportunity, and I thought maybe if he got that opportunity, he was going to make big plays, and Baltimore was going to struggle to take him off the field. And it, it, it he just really hasn't gotten much of an opportunity this year. But I think I think he's a guy who only needs probably ten to twelve touches and could be fantasy valuable for sure. Because especially in that offense, so I do think if you know he doesn't have to be the guy there. Even even if he if Mark Ingram is still there, if he just kind of becomes the second guy, and you know, because you look at Gus Edwards' stats, Gus Edwards had a pretty good season again this year. You know, I think his stats were almost the same as last year. You know, Gus Edwards got a decent amount of carries. If those carries were all you know Justice Hill. I think you're talking about a guy who would do more with them potentially or, you know, more theoretically in terms of his big play upside that I think he could be a guy that could be intriguing. I agree with you on Madison and, and I love Dalvin Cook and I and I do own him everywhere. So definitely hoping, you know, that this besides the end of the year when he missed some time that this is who he becomes now for a period of time. But I mean, he's also entering his fourth year next year and, you know, Cook wasn't a first round pick. So there, you know, that's the that's the end of the contract. You know, I think people I think I think Derrick Henry's free agency upcoming right now kind of snuck up on people, too, because I don't think people even realize that Derrick Henry's a free agent after this year. You know, now you're starting to see some lists of free agencies, but like you, you didn't hear much about it because you, you think of him as still relatively a young guy. But these these day two guys that four year contract. So, you mm-hmm. know, Cook's going to be a free agent after next year. What if next year he suffers another injury? 
You know, what if he misses half the season or God forbid worse? Like, are they going to get, or, you know, or if he misses a couple weeks here or he's, he, you know, he's constantly on the injury report and, you know, are they going to be willing to give him Todd Gurley money? Because, you know, that's what every new running back's going to want. They're going to want that. They're going to want Ezekiel Elliott and Todd Gurley money. Mm-hmm. And if they like Alexander Madison, they might say, thank you for the four years. We're going to go with Madison and draft another guy. It's it's not out of the realm of possibility. So, you know, so that's, you know, there's that two-year gap in their contracts that if they were to move on from Cook, you can be getting a guy who could step right in and be a, a really productive running back. So I, I agree with you on Madison. Pollard, I think, is a little bit tougher. You need him. You know, he's more of a, I think you got to, you got to hope that Dallas and and now, you know, Mike McCarthy going there. You got to hope that they envision him as more of a bigger part of the offense. And, you know, they got to find a role for Pollard that I think is more consistent week in and week out before I'd be more excited about Pollard. Uh, some of the other guys, I, 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 I didn't mind Darwin Thompson. I didn't think he should be, you know, taken in the top 100 or anything. I thought he was a day free pick. You know, I think the landing spot got people obviously more excited than people should have been because they didn't have a clear, you know, people were were worried that Damian Williams was just a flash in the pan. They didn't, you know, they didn't have LaShawn McCoy at the time. Uh, people wanted him to, anybody who was attached to the KC offense, I think would have generated a lot of excitement. And you know, this year, Kansas City's running back game has struggled a lot. And, and you know, they've went through, you know, Darrell Williams had his time, LaShawn McCoy had his time, Damian Williams. You know, Darwin Thompson really never moved his way into any significant role. And that that would concern me, even as someone that liked Darwin Thompson a little bit last year, that if he didn't materialize this year, when they were desperate for somebody to kind of take the, take the reins, they're going to invest in a running back in this year's draft. There's little doubt in my mind. And maybe it's not round one, maybe it's second round, but I, I would be surprised if they don't have a top 100 pick that's a running back. I, I And if that if they bring a top 100 pick in, he's probably going to be atop the depth chart or at least there with Damian Williams at the top of the depth chart, which means Darwin Thompson's going to be buried at the bottom of the depth chart. So I think, you know, he had his opportunity. Hopefully he gets another opportunity down the line, want to see these guys be successful. But he might have had his best opportunity this year. And unless now again, all bets are off. If they don't put a pick in the top 100 and then it's a complete up for grabs, you know, maybe he shows some growth and development going into year two. And I'm sure I'd be excited about him again. And I'm sure I wouldn't be the only one. So there it is, the running back position. A lot to really look at in this offseason. Like we said, it was a down position for the year, but I do think there's some guys that could still emerge out of it. So it's going to be, it's going to be one of those things that we just kind of got to watch closely and read the situation. And Nick's been talking about it all night about, you know, the value and, and look for the appropriate value and attack that value. I think that's so important. So there it is, guys, the quarterbacks, the running backs, Nick, we just went for an hour and a half. This has been an absolute blast. Uh, let the audience know where they can find you on Twitter. I'm sure most of them are following you, but if not, let them know anything else you want to let them know about as well. Yeah. Thanks for, for having me. It's, it's, uh, I don't know. It, the off air stuff is better than the on air stuff. Even this is a lot of fun. So yeah, it's, thanks for having me. It's, you know, just, uh, basically talking with a friend for a couple hours. It's been a blast. Um, and I hope people follow you too. So, you know, I'll be retweeting this. I hope people like give you a shout out. If, if people aren't familiar with your work, 
uh, for some reason, this is the first time you listen to this podcast, Paul crushes it around draft time. Like, like he is Adam Schefter, by the way. So <laughs> if you're wondering, like, if Schefter has a twin, uh, it's Paul around draft time. So, I mean, make sure you follow me at least for that, if not more. Obviously, there's more there. Um, but, yeah, so on Twitter, I'm at underscore Nick Whalen. Um, I'm, you know, I'm gonna have stuff at four for four. I'm gonna have stuff at dynasty nerds. Um, and then I'll be doing the Devry report. Me and Paul are trying to figure this out. I should know this like fifth or sixth year doing that thing. I don't know if you're a draft eligible offensive skill prospect. Um, it's about film and ranking in there and it's kind of what I'm known for. Uh, and then the last two years I've done the graduates. And so I'll do that again this year. And that's just going to be NFL draft eligible guys in those realms. Uh, so I'll be selling those again. Uh, and there's probably gonna be some more news coming out. I'd say probably in the next few months, I'll just leave that teaser out there for right now. Um, but, uh, if you guys, you know, uh, don't follow me and want to, I'm, I'm pretty personable, you know, uh, I like chatting with people and, and talking football, but in the end it should be fun. So that's why we're doing this. Absolutely, guys. Make sure you're following Nick. Check out all his publications. They're excellent work. And I did figure it out, Nick, that this is the fifth year we're doing this, uh, covering the NFL draft at Saturday, Sunday. I'm fairly certain you were one year ahead with the Debbie Report. So I think right. you're probably about to be doing your sixth year of the Debbie Report, which is it's crazy that, you know, we've been at this as long as we have been now. You know what that means? That means the dementia is already sitting in, Paul. You know, I, I, I'm, I'm already forgetting stuff. It's not good. <laughs> Absolutely. But it, it's all fun. Uh, guys, make sure you check out all of Nick's work. If you are a fan of Matt and I's work, please get over to the website. Easiest way now is ssfootball.com. You can still write it out as well. We bet we have both those domain num- uh, names. Check on the premium notebooks. Remember, for $9.99, you get access to all four notebooks. The scouting notebook is probably up to over 110 profiles, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, tight ends, all their strengths, developing areas, areas where they're functional, NFL role. We put fantasy spin this year, um, you know, a bunch of other stuff as well. Draft projection. We'll break that down once we officially know who's in and who's out. The rankings notebook has all our different rankings, our draft eligible rankings. We'll break that down to just draft rankings as well. Our Debbie rankings, our dynasty rookie rankings. We put our tiers in there after we do our tier buster shows in the month of February. Uh, And then in late March to mid April, uh, Matt puts out the freshman notebook, which will have information on like the top 40 or 50 incoming freshmen. And then I also put out the draft projections notebook, which is like the TV guide of the draft. It has notes on over 400 players, offense and defense. It would how I expect it to go from everything I'm hearing, every single thing I read, every single thing I listen to. I try to make sense of it all, who to believe, what to believe, what not to believe, uh, and try to guess exactly how it's going to go on draft weekend. So you get all four for $9.99. It is the best way to help support the show uh, and help us grow and continue to do what we do. So on behalf of Nick, on behalf of our sound and tech engineer, David Nakano, on behalf of Matt and myself, thank you for joining us. And we look forward next time taking you from Saturday to Sunday.